Now, we all know that Martin can metabolise a pint in five minutes, but I bet even he wouldn't turn his nose up at getting free beer delivered to his door. Yes, our friends at Beer 52 are offering our listeners a free case of eight unique craft beers. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF and cover the postage of $5.95. Beer 52 is the world's largest beer club. Even Big Mandy is welcome, but not Colin. He's an utter bozo. Each month, members are sent a crate of beer with different themes. Don't like dark beer? Then choose the light option. Comes with a magazine and two snacks, BLT and crumpets not included. Don't be a cockwomble. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF to get this amazing offer. That's www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF. The following podcast contains strong language, like what the actual fuck. Hello, this is Daisy, and you're listening to What the Actual Fuck. Scarecrow Festival is like the most important day of the year. Daft cow. This is just ridiculous. What the actual fuck. Hey, what the actual fuckers, and welcome to WTAF of This Country Podcast. First, he's a man who has just crept up behind me after I got off a train. I twatted him across the head and grabbed his throat. I knew he was there. I just wanted to twat him across the head. It's Neil. Uh, hello, everyone. <laughs> I must so say, this is very true. He's a bully. <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a loving way. But let's not go down that road again, because we've, we've already had emails <laughs> oh, no. about that. No, let's not. <laughs> Now, our superfan guest this episode is an award-winning actress and writer whose Sky Comedy short Love the Sinner starred our very own and her fellow RADA alumna and friend Daisy. She also starred alongside comedy legend Matt Berry in The Excellent Year of the Rabbit. And on, in 2019, she played Bottom in A Midsummer Night's Dream at Regent's Park Open Air Theatre in London. She is one of the rising stars. And I'm glad we can chat to her before she gets her Oscar. Please welcome Susan Wakoma. <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> that is a lot to live up to. Well, I look, like I say, in, in 10 years' time, when you're hobnobbing with Meryl Streep and all those people, you, yeah. and you've forgotten about us, at least we can say we've, we had her when she was, before she was famous. Before she was up her own ass, we had her. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are the guys. You are the guys who first prophesied my Oscar. So, there you so go. to you. <laughs> there you go. How are you doing in these weird and wonderful times? I'm all right. I'm okay. It was, um, it's really strange because obviously it's scary and, um, and really worrying. And so I think that, you know, once I sort of realized, you know, my friends were okay and my family were okay, or if they did have it, they were recovering and then, you know, sorted out sort of my life. Once I settled into that, which took a couple of weeks, I was like, oh, I'm really like, I'm doing this quite well. Like I had friends panicking, going, "I just need to see people. I just need to hug them." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm good." Like, <laughs> people are fucking idiots. As we see in the news, I was like, "You'll just see another thing. Oh, I'm protesting my rights to like not wear a mask." And you're like, 
people are just fucking stupid. I th- I'm fine with having a break. So um, I've been okay so far. I mean, ups and downs. Every so often I'll need the intense, you know, the feeling of somebody just like holding my hand. But apart from uh, human touch, I'm actually okay. Yeah. <laughs> you managed to use it constructively and uh, that this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've started yoga. I'm one of those. Actually, you no, know, I wasn't one of those. At first, I was like in my pants watching Tiger King. And I was just like, you know what? You don't need to be productive in this time. Like, fuck capitalism. Do what you want. And then I was just becoming like meshed into my bed. And I was like, I need to get get up. And so I started yoga. I'm writing um and you know i'm in a really lucky position where i've you know whenever this ends hopefully um there's quite a few projects on the other side of it so you know i'm really lucky in that sense so um so yeah no now i'm being productive now so are you quite good to 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 be your own boss kind of thing and make sure that i'm gonna get up at eight o'clock or nine o'clock and i'm gonna sit down for five hours and do some writing or or is it a little bit harder it's kind of i'm like I've sort of got a routine in terms because I run loads and so I run every morning and I do yoga and then after that after that there's like a pivotal hour where it could go the day could go very well or the day or I'm that's it I'm just watching Netflix it's an hour where I've just got to decide I'm writing yeah and then I I don't really structure it when I write I write and it's just a bit of an abyss Mm. and that will go on until the early hours of the morning or I write overnight into the morning um so and also i think now you know your your home is your office it's your club it's your pub it's your restaurant it's your cinema so i I feel like trying to be structured in this new kind of environment is a bit i don't really care about that so i'm just literally grabbing time to write and luckily i found it so but yeah no structure (laughs) you have a writing process then um i write too much Any producer that works with me, when I deliver a draft, they're like, oh boy, <laughs> this is <laughs> fucking Iliad. Um, <laughs> like, um, I, do, I do just, I just write to fuck. I get all my um, ideas down. Every Even if I can't think of a, a character's name, I'll just be like, A. Like, I just, I think that I definitely come from the background where I thought in order to write, you've got to have this ready and this prepared and this down and this, you know, mapped out on a wall mm. like you're in, um, you know, uh, you're a mathematician or something like that. And I just realised that all of that stuff is all these mental kind of blocks to stop you from actually doing it. So I try not to get worried. You know, sometimes I do structure, you know, if I'm writing an episode or something, I structure it out and then try and follow that. But I think that I can be my worst enemy in doing lots of things before I start the actual writing. So it's normally just, I always, <laughs> when I deliver a draft, I always call it the vomit draft. And everyone's like, oh. <laughs> or, or the diarrhea draft, depending <laughs> if it's shit. <laughs> and is it something you've always done then, written? No, 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 not at all. I, I got approached in like, I was filming, was I filming? I was in the middle of filming Crazy Head, or right at the beginning actually. And I got um, approached by a production company uh, asking whether I had any ideas. They thought that I was really funny and chewing gum. And I had a real, I had a real issue 
with that because I thought, you know, I'm not a writer. There's loads of really great writers. You know, I had seen the process, the very long process that Charlie and Daisy had gone through with this country. I've got, you know, I've got a lot of writer friends. And so I immediately sort of thought, nah, I'm not a writer. And then actually spoke to uh, my friend Abby, who's a writer in the States. And she said, I'll never forget what she said. She said, follow the green lights. If somebody is saying, walk in through this door, just fucking walk through it. There's loads of people who walk through doors and they don't know what they're doing. And they do tend to be blokes. <laughs> and they learn. And sometimes they create some really cool stuff to just learn on the job. And so, yeah, I developed my first pilot script and then that script got me my literary agent. That script got me the film that I'm doing now. Um, it got interest in the States. And so, yeah, I just by sort of going, fine, I'll learn on the job. And I knew nothing apart from all the experience that I had as an actor reading scripts and, you know, what intrinsically felt good. And I always had like a good ear, I think, and dramaturgically, if you're working on something like that's quite shit, <laughs> I always sort of, kind of my gut knew how to make it less shit um, so uh so yeah no I uh, 2016 was when I started writing to put wow. a year on it so when you go wow. when you go from just having that inkling of an idea to yeah. then actually maybe starting writing a script are there any notes mm -hmm. that you do there must be notes that you do make or does it go straight from your head onto the page um Every single time it's been successful, it's gone from my head onto the page. Wow. Every single time it's been a success, like the short film, that was my head to the page. Um, when I do uh, stand-up, I, I don't do stand-up a lot, but I only do it on the Guilty Feminist podcast. And when I do that, it's ideas that go, you know, I sort of formulate them, do them. Whenever I try and be you know, too preemptive about it, that's when I, it all starts to sort of fall apart for me. At least the first, you know, when I'm writing, at least the first draft. And then and then you've got the structure, you've got the, the skeleton of it. Mm. And then you start having notes and breaking it down and thinking about structure more. But every time something has been successful, um, yeah, I've just got on with it. Are you good at self-editing afterwards then with the notes? Um, I'm very good at, what's the term? I'm very good at killing my darlings. If something needs to go, it can go. Um, I do have a little kill my darlings folder. So sometimes I'll be like, I'm going to put that back in. <laughs> no one's noticed. Um, but yeah, I think that it's been an interesting journey because I'm good at self-editing. I, one of the best bits of advice, I've mentioned this a few times, um, when I did, um, when I was shooting Crazy Head and I got my first commission and I went out for, I think it was maybe after screening, we went for like a drink or something and Howard Overman created Crazy Head um, and Julian, our producer, they gave me the best bit of advice. I'll, I'll get really good fucking bits of advice, <laughs> but they said, um, <laughs> I just have that face, guys. The face that says, help her. <laughs> help her. She looks like she needs some fucking advice. Um, so they said, uh, never, don't be the smartest person in the room. And of course I was like, impossible. <laughs> but um, I was like, darling, that's just really hard. But what they meant is in like, don't 
get caught up in being smarter than everybody, bossing people around, wanting power, wanting ultimate control. It's about collaboration. Mm. And there may be somebody in the room who will make your thing better. Mm. So when it comes to editing, even though I, I'm very hypersensitive, which is one of the reasons why I think I'm a half decent actor, um, but and that sometimes that doesn't translate as a writer because I feel like you have to be a lot more robust. And sometimes I'm like, just tell me you like it. Just tell, we don't have to make it. Just tell me you like it. And then we'll just pretend I didn't do it. Um, but I like, I, I'm growing more to accepting what people have to say on it and knowing that that isn't because they think it's shit, but because it's going to make it better. So whenever I get really hypersensitive, I think, don't be the smartest person in the room. There could be someone in here who's going to, elevate your thing mm. so um yeah so are you gonna are you when you've when you've finished something or in your mind you finished a the final draft are you good at handing it over or are you, would you still like to keep tinkering with it and messing about with it or i think i've always been good at handing it over but then when you're on set i think and i think this goes for i mean i've only done a few i've only done a couple of dramas um, but definitely with comedy, I think that you've got to be alive to what the actors give you. If they give you something extra, if it's better, don't be precious about it. It goes in. And I always thought, what would I be like? Because I'm, I am that actor who will go, oh, maybe you could try this. Maybe you could try that and do that. Mm. And so I also, oh, what would, what would it be like when I'm on the other side of it? And so when I did my short, which was the first thing that I did that got shot because it happened very quickly you know I really loved it when uh the actors would bring something else to it it's just it I really loved that my thing that I've written was encouraging them to use their imagination and come up with stuff because if it's shit people just would be like I'll just hit my mark and go home mate. yeah like, yeah fuck it out. People would get in fit, and also because our lead was um, an actress called Whitney Nicholas, who's I think she's maybe sixteen now, fifteen now, um, but she was a bit younger then. And the fact that she was coming up with amazing stuff, like there's lots of stuff in our short that I that are all her. So yeah, yeah. Mm. What made you want to go into the industry then? Um, honestly. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, uh, people told me that I was good at it. Yeah. I um, would do, I didn't really have drama at secondary school, but I had an English teacher who advised that I auditioned for this thing called National Youth Theatre, which I auditioned for when I was 13. That was like the first, I didn't know what it was. Um, and also we didn't have a computer in our house. So I didn't, couldn't check what it was. Then found out that like loads of amazing people went there, like Jude Law and... Helen Mirren I was like oh cool brilliant and um so I auditioned for that and then I got in and then you would audition for seasons of shows and then I would be cast in seasons of shows and people would tell me that I was good they told me the things that I needed to do to improve but it was the encouragement of there was this thing that naturally I was good at and that I enjoyed it and the more and more I did it the more and more I loved it and that was kind of where it began which I like because it was about the doing of it it was about you know the ensemble and other people and it was never it really genuinely never came from a place of look at me look at me look at me which then became a problem later on at say like drama school because they're all looking at you <laughs> and you're like don't fucking look at me I'm just with the actors and so 
yeah, it takes a little while to kind of break out of that when you're given the big responsibility of a part. But yeah, I became an actor because enough people told me that I was good at it and I enjoyed it. That's as simple as, <laughs> as that. So and when then you... obviously went off to RADA then. Oh, exactly. Yeah, Sorry? I was going to say, then went to RADA. Then went, yeah, and then I auditioned for RADA and, and got in. I was like, ah, better go there then. Um, yeah, and then spent three years kind of um, slightly unravelling <laughs> <laughs> and um, realising that, you know, it was re- it was a interesting time. It was fun and it was really, really difficult because I just never had that much time navel gazing like there's no other way to even describe it you it is three years where you're just thinking about yourself and without sounding sort of like you know perfect I just hadn't given myself that much attention the way I breathed the way I walked the way I um, spoke the way I stood the way like everything the way I did flamenco I'd never done flamenco before I know man but and all of a sudden it was under a microscope and sometimes it was cool and sometimes I was like I just need to not fucking do this for a bit um yeah it was intense <laughs> can you remember the can first still- time that oh, <laughs> go on now sorry I was just gonna say can you still flamenco <laughs> could I flamenco then <laughs> barely. <laughs> barely nah that's a skill that has uh, been taken off my cv uh, right. <laughs> um i was gonna say so can you remember the very first time that you met daisy yeah i remember we walked oh god what was it we walked in our first big day and yeah and we kind of we have like um it's like a, a week of when no other years are there it's only the first years and and you and you see everyone and i just remember Daisy was this tall, leggy blonde, and I thought, "Oh, she's quite fit." <laughs> uh, and um, and then you just never, and so you sort of meet at this kind of induction week, and everyone's kind of sizing each other up, like, "Oh, she's my casting," and "Oh no, she isn't my casting," and "Oh, I can see that she's obviously had some, you know, voice work done." I was there fucking shit in it but also like couldn't believe it and thought there's so many fit boys why is everyone so good looking like that was that's the thing about acting you're like all of a sudden you walk into a room you're like ah these guys have won the lottery this is lovely (laughs) yeah yeah to look at um and then yeah and then you kind of disappear like you in the first year you're split into three so in with every project that you do you're split into threes and we were split into probably the most significant class that we had, which was our acting classes. Um, you'd think that would be the only class that you'd have at drama school. <laughs> no, it's not. There's loads of others. Um, but acting classes where you sort of learn the Stanislavski method of acting and you do your acting exercises and, you know, across all drama schools everywhere, you do kind of the same thing. And, yeah, you don't... If people are not in your group, you don't see them. And Daisy wasn't in my acting group. She was in this other acting group and in another building, actually, across the road. So you just never... I never saw her because that acting group really forms... I think largely forms you as an as an actor, that teacher, that relationship. So I didn't really see her and it wasn't until... It, oh, and she had a boyfriend. She had a fella. So she was like, Friday night, gone, and we were all like living it up on Tottenham Court Road. She was like, I'm committed... Um, and then it was second year that I, we both 
were living in a hall's residence on Gower Street called Bonham Carter House. And uh, we were neighbours. And so we lived around the corner from each other and I'd sort of calmed down on my partying and second year is traditionally much tougher. So no one's really having a good time. Everyone's crying. And uh, yeah, and then we, we bonded in second year, definitely. I think we realised that we're from the same background economically. Um, and, you know, RADA does attract wealthy students. Not everyone is, but like it felt that we really understood each other, what it's like to kind of be trying to navigate this world, but we didn't have anyone that could sort of give us, you know, uh, advice that came later when everyone was like gotta give this girl advice but not then mm. um yeah and so yeah we really bonded in the in the second year and then charlie arrived <laughs> which was, i was like who's this and um uh he dropped out of uni and was staying in daisy's room and charlie was just the the most quiet person i'd ever met he barely said anything but it was just this very tall boy who we knew was staying in Daisy's room and uh, and yeah so it was yeah we'd have like little gatherings mm. in a tiny room was there any time when they discussed the, the like the, the germ of the idea of this country not not I know that they would reminisce and talk about you know um Siren where they're from Siren Sester and, and all of that but outwardly to us there was you know, there was a small group of us that used to hang out quite a bit, and no, there was no talk. There was—I no, didn't even know that writing was in Charlie's sphere. I know that Daisy had done stand-up and stuff before Rada, but I no, Charlie was not, like the fact that he's in the show number one, and the fact that he's brilliant is uh, was I was so taken aback and shocked and surprised, and because. Also, in the development of the show, Charlie was only a writer. He was never mm. going to play Curtin. Curtin mm. was going to be this other character. So to then hear that he was doing it and then to see that he was absolutely, absolutely smashing it, I thought, wow, amazing. I'm so proud of him. And number two, why the fuck do I go to Rada? Just <laughs> <laughs> no need. He need to go. Look at this guy. Isn't he brilliant? Like, what the fuck? But no, there was no, I didn't, I didn't get uh, a sense of, this country or even the germ of it until after we had left and Daisy started putting up um, stuff on YouTube, which was just hilarious. Mm. Yeah. You could tell Daisy had a comedy talent, of course, at rather, I would suppose. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But you know, they, particularly in the first year, there's a, it's really, really structured in terms of what you do. So comedy, I would say, wasn't something that was thought of as important I don't think we did like a clowning term which was went over my head but <laughs> you know we were doing you know it's classical theatre training so we were doing a lot of the classics and when we did move into new writing it was normally things that were dramatic and so I even though I knew that Daisy was funny because she's funny and I knew that she'd done comedy before I don't think I saw her in a comedic role at Rada at all, actually. Mm. Um, but I, I tell you something for nothing, which she will not say. She is a phenomenal dramatic actress. Wow. She is a phenomenal dramatic actress. I mean, I don't know whether we'll ever see it because she has such a passion 
for comedy, but I remember in our third year, so our final year, and we have a big showcase for um, agents and producers and whatnot. And she did, uh, I think it's from a play called Iron. I hope she doesn't mind me. She's probably, she's probably gonna blush about this. But yeah, a post called Iron. And it was still to this day, one of the best bits of acting I'd ever seen. Wow. I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm very excited about her winning her Oscar down the road because I think it will come. So I think it will come. Would, would you recommend uh, any budding actresses or actors to go to RADA? Um, yeah. I do think it is amazing for that because you learn, you know, doing a show eight times a week um, is really taxing particularly in your voice physicality mm. and all of that and drama school gives you those tools um but do i think it's vital no some of the, my favorite actors some of the best actors didn't train um it's also really expensive when we went um you could get a uh a loan so i got the same student loan as you would get if you were going to bristol university or if you were going to oxford like i got the same um and that has tripled now. I think, yep, yeah, I think it's tripled now. So even though it's still alone, that means you're walking out of drama school with ridiculous debt. Some, you know, at that point I was like, well, it's the same as everybody else. And, you know, it doesn't really matter. But now I would seriously think about starting my work in life with that much debt. It's mm. just ridiculous. So mm. sometimes you can't. And I think that, you know, if you can, it's great to have three years where you can fail and try and fail and try, you know, without doing it publicly, because especially in the age of social media, people love to tell you when they think you failed. <laughs> oh, now. Um, so it's nice to have that. It's nice to have that cocoon. But if you can't, if you can't do it, or if you try and get in and you don't, you know, there are there are other ways. Mm. Mm. Well, I was oh, going to say that the avenues of being able to make a name for yourself if you like or you create stuff uh, the avenues mm. there, there are more avenues out there now doesn't necessarily yeah. mean that everything is great because no. you know um and with the fact that you say that you're now obviously writing stuff do you find that it's easier to go down those avenues because you've been to rada or is you know does it make any difference for what you want to do for yourself in the future hmm that's really interesting well i would say chiefly the thing that going to somewhere like rada would help with is you doing classical theater that's what i would you know you know that an actor has gone to rada you would trust them with some chekhov or you know shakespeare and the complete opposite happened to me right <laughs> i could not get arrested i could not get in doing classical theatre it was like everyone was like you went to Sarada but did you I was like I fucking did <laughs> what do you mean there's a picture outside of outside my first day and they're like mm, I don't know it made no fucking difference right. and it was really it was really shocking that tv opened up for me because I did not think that I would have a television career really because in my head television belonged to other people mm. so in terms of how RADA has benefited me, I sort of don't know because in the way that I thought it would, it didn't, I, you know, and 
you know, that was, it was cool that this other kind of side of things opened up to me, like comedy, because I'd always, as a punter, I love comedy. As a punter, I prefer comedy. But as an actor, I never said that, oh, I'm absolutely going to do comedy. That was not, otherwise I wouldn't have gone to Rada. Mm. Um, so that's been really, really fun. But it did mean that I lacked confidence doing you know, all the things that uh, we were being taught, which is why doing Bottom, um, which you mentioned earlier, Regent's Park was a huge thing because it was combining the two and it was mm. so much fun. But mm. yeah, I don't, I have no idea how Roger's benefited me, except that, you know, in a very kind of businessy way, which is a bit, you know, it's Rada. So every casting director, every agent, they come to your shows. Mm. I think right. that's, me the biggest benefit they all come they all come and see you yeah um and some other drama schools may not have the the clout i think but we were a bit of a shiny year there was quite a lot of us who've gone on to <laughs> do bits and bobs like um james norton and cynthia revo like it's so people were sniffing around but i think yeah that's probably from being quite cynical i think that's probably the biggest <laughs> the biggest lift they gave me <laughs> It's a big lift. It's a big lift. Yeah. Do they help you with your first job then? Rada? Yeah. No, they chew you up and spit you out like, fuck off then. <laughs> <laughs> right, you've been whinging about your fucking posture for three and a half. Fuck off. Um, it's pretty b- brutal. It is really? just like, you're there for three years. You're there every day. Some days you're there from like 10 till 10 and then it just stops and then you're out of the womb. And... To be honest, I was really lucky. By the time it finished, I was like, thank you very much. I was ready to leave because it got super competitive and people were, you know, it's three years leading up to, you know, the rest of your life. It's that big. And obviously you get older and you realise that it wasn't that big. But, you know, and we were leaving during a recession, 2010. Mm. So that wasn't great. Um, And, you know, you do get, the biggest casting directors and agents and um, producers and whatnot come to see your shows. So what happens if you don't land a big agent or you don't land a big job? What does that say to you? You've had all the exposure. So it became quite a difficult place to be. So I was ready to go. And, you know, I've done a bit of mentoring and stuff, but I do think it is important to like, close a chapter but that's to do with my experience as an actor a little bit as a teenager was I got very good at sort of going the, the job's finished now and so you move on mm. yeah mm. so how, how are you with um auditions are you a good auditioner or is, is there any such thing as a good auditioner <laughs> there is oh right there is there are people who can smash an audition but <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, yeah, people who just know how to bring it in an audition. But sometimes what i found with actors like that is they are telling you the final product. That's how they're going to do it. Mm. Then that's it. And I find that quite boring, particularly with theatre. Like, okay, especially with theatre. I think this is very much to do with theatre. You've then got four, four weeks, if you're lucky, maybe five to rehearse so if you're going to audition and you get the job and then that's how you do it where's the growth 
where's the you know other people in the room different people giving you stuff and you're just doing what you did before mm. so I do think that you know if you do go in and smash an audition you have to think about like have I done all that I need to do am I receptive to people giving me notes because I've seen people who go this is how I'm doing it and then when they do have notes they just can't see the character in any other way but um I don't think I'm a good auditioner I think no that's a lie <laughs> that's you want to be I'm trying to give you the I'm trying to give you the honesty right? that's what we want yeah okay I think I can be that was so on the fence okay do you want to know what it is right I mean with theatre less so um any classical theatre audition I've ever done I just want to say now on the podcast I'm really sorry to everyone who saw me because I know it was shit <laughs> even when I did bottom spoke to Dominic afterwards when he offered me the part I, I requested a meeting where I sat him down and basically said why really why have you got me yeah I was like, I don't know why you've cast me. You better fucking tell me if we're going to do this. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> you really need to sort out your confidence. But, but is that, yeah, is that more to do with your confidence on how you totally, see yeah. yourself as opposed to how somebody is seeing you in an, an audition now? Yeah, that was, and that's very specifically to do with classical theatre and Shakespeare and what I've been told, how I'm meant to do it, how my voice is meant to be. I hate the Shakespeare voice. Like when I hear an actor doing it, I quite violently hate, like I really, it makes me quite sick. Mm. I hate it. Like why talking like that? Um, and so if I even hear myself going in faintly into Shakespeare land, I don't believe myself. I drop out a bit, lose confidence and I'm gone. So it was a really, I mean, Dominic Hill, um, my director is brilliant and I had the best time and you know, it's all truthful. That's the thing that I sort of want from anything, whether I do drama or, or comedy or Shakespeare, is that I want it to sound truthful. And sometimes I think I've just heard classical theatre done so untruthfully. People just care about like it sounded great, and I'm like, then you're dead inside. Mm. Like the fuck. Um, but I can't even remember what your question was. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Neither can I. <laughs> I, I was just mesmerised by your answer. I was just, you keep talking, keep talking. I do. Seriously, I can... Do you know that when you watch or you read interviews with actors and they're really kind of, like, charismatic and they, they don't give you too much and just, they feel like an egg that you just want to crack. You're like, wow, what are you about, you mysterious, magical creature? I'm not that. Every Before every interview, I'm like, Suze, be cool. Leave them wanting more, mate. Don't... <laughs> like, just walk into the room and then shimmy out and they're like wow who is she after every interview i'm pretty sure every interview goes yeah we know what the fuck that is talking <laughs> 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 oh which was taller anyway sorry <laughs> taller <laughs> so i was gonna ask when you audition for something like um shakespeare that you did when you did your bottom what do you do for the audition <laughs> what the fuck do you do um <laughs> goodness knows i do uh well no okay all right so 
with an audition, they will say, okay, um, we want you to look at this section. Could you look at this section and then you prepare it? Um, and with theatre versus television, theatre, you don't have to be off book. That means that you don't have to learn it by heart. But with something like Shakespeare, I would say learn it. Mm. So try and learn it as much as you can. Um, and you go in there and somebody, normally the casting director, reads you that's normally how it happens it's pretty it's not very interesting (laughs) (laughs) but the question is you don't want to do the Shakespearean voice so how do you get yourself into the mindset of how you're going to do it it's really hard it's really I this is I'm not saying it's universally really hard it's Mm. my I find it really really hard I always I always go to the truth of the character I always try and fight, you know, the ambit pentameter or saying it right or getting the verse right. I'm like, that's what rehearsals are for. The director is going to help me craft all of that. My goal is that I need to believe every word that comes out of my mouth. And if Mm. I can achieve that, fine. I'm more than happy. Like I'm definitely at a point where if I do really well in an audition, I can say it and know it. Because I also know that doing really well in an audition, smashing an audition, doesn't mean you'll get the part. So mm. <laughs> my thing is just like just be as truthful, whether it's comedy, whether it's anything, as possible, and then you leave it. Right. Yeah. So um, in regards to this country, um, have you um, yeah. have you are you up to date? Did you see series three? I am up to date. So what what did you think of the way that the whole thing finished? Oh, I just I'm so proud of them. I um I absolutely loved it. I did giggle though. There was a bit <laughs> was it the final episode? I think it the final episode. I can't remember. I oh, know. Um, you know when they uh light the lanterns. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah that was up. in the Cynthia episode, wasn't it? For yeah. lens lens um internet woman Mm. yeah um that did make me laugh because uh when i first went to visit daisy and siren sester a couple of years out of drama school me daisy um our friend celine hisley who's also um in our year at drama school and charlie went to the local amphitheater amphitheater yeah yeah and we lit up was cracking up because we were all like wow this is such a spiritual moment and this fucking limp like <laughs> bobbed off and when i watched that i was like king up because it even looked similar its journey was like shit yeah um yeah no i i absolutely adored i'm uh, yeah i think the third series is the best one. Oh, really yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing how many people have actually said that in regard. And what's your favourite episode in series three? Have you got a specific episode? I think, uh, I think episode one, just because I knew it was always going to be really difficult for mm. them, and uh, I think they handled it not only in a way that Slegs would have really loved, but it was it just made sense for all the characters everything everything about it like it was just yeah I I think that that is how because when you are filming something when you are doing a job things do happen 
and I've been on jobs where people have passed away and uh, and whatnot and I've had people pass away during the job and you still got to go to work and you know having knowing that they had to address it and I didn't ever ask how they were doing it um and yeah when I watched it it was really really moving mm. and yeah I think episode one is just stunning mm. absolutely I think yeah it's my best my favorite completely agree. how much of um Daisy do you still carry that when you watch it <laughs> I mean, obviously, between, uh, you know, Curtin and Kerry, Curtin's, like, smarter, but he's so emotionally volatile. Mm. <laughs> Just sort of brilliant. And, you know, Kerry is sort of not as smart, but she's not as emotionally <laughs> vengeful as Curtin, which I fucking... I love it when he's on a mission to, like, destroy someone. Um, or destroy Kerry in that episode. Mm. Um, but I... I think that there is a, like, Daisy really, really loves, like, what really cracks her up aren't, like, big gags or big jokes. It's always been, like, minute details. Like, one of the reasons I felt encouraged to write was that she would always tell me how funny I am. And I would just say a story, I would literally just tell a story, and she would always say, you've got to write that. You've got, and it would be, like, a nothingy a nothingy line mm. and so those kind of the fact that the things that make Kerry so funny are those little moments I think is you know that's directly Daisy um mm. I don't think they're being clever at looking at the minute I think that is exactly what she finds funny and mm. so yeah I tell you those the similarity Bless him. <laughs> right, uh, before I talk to you about um, Year of the Rabbit, which I've got to, yeah. I've got to, um, we're going to have a little bit of a quiz. So oh, no. We're going to play Kerry or Curtain. I'm going to give you a line of dialogue. You need to Bring tell it. me if it was Kerry or Curtain. So let's, ho- let's hope all the words are right on this one. Number one, I okay. knew this day would come. I just can't believe it's here. <laughs> That's Curtain. That is Curtain. That was in the Ma- Mandy episode talking about Mr. Perkins. Yes, yes, well, yes, yes. Done. Qu- question number two. Hi. Why is he so proud of it? Oh. Why is he so proud of it? I think that's Kern. That was Kerry. Was it? Yes, in the GNVQ episode talking about the Vickers Rock Hard Ball Bag. Number three. Number three. You should see him parading Len around in the cafe like a show pony. It's disgusting. (laughs) That's Curtin. That is Curtin. That's the Cynthia episode we were talking about just a minute ago. Uh, So that's two out of three. Number four. By the time I got it back, the screen was so full of turds. That is Curtin. Well done. The station yeah. episode talking about his Tamagotchi that yes, Kerry was. I remember. <laughs> loved that line. Oh my so God. That's three out of four. One more. Yeah, pulling, okay. pulling the wall over our eyes since the very first day you got here. Okay. I know that's about, that's about the vicar, isn't it? That is about the vicar. Yeah. So who, 
is correct four out of five well done and that's the same as rebecca front we had rebecca front on last week and she got exactly the same four out of five well done well done very very (laughs) good so apart from ferial curtain then who's your favorite character uh it's got to be vicar it's got to be vicar i am uh i was a huge fan of the vicar of dibley so i do love like the kind of you know, bumbling vicar character in the centre of all this, like, you know, eccentric mess. And I think that um, Paul does it, like, brilliantly and so warmly. And, yeah, I think he's, yeah, Mm. I think he's brilliant. But he's got that fiery side, hasn't he? So much that in Series 3, it comes out a lot more. And you think if there'd have been a Series 4, he would have twatted someone by now. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. I think Series 4 would have resulted in him like going to prison for the night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like going on the run or something like that after twice. Yeah. Fiery Francis. Fiery Francis. Oh there you go. That's a spin-off series. Yeah, Fiery yeah, Francis. Yeah. Fiery Francis in Bristol, isn't it? Okay, right. <laughs> Year of the Rabbit. Now yeah. we're we're both massive Matt Barry fans. So I was Yay. I was I was in to watch it anyway. Um I I mean and again I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was such a such a funny and so much attention to detail as well for like a victorian i think isn't it something like that just fantastic how did you get the part for that what was your uh journey for that part i auditioned i mean i wish it was more exciting a story i auditioned it's been quite a while we auditioned 2017 for the pilot um uh so audition went in for my initial audition you know you do two scenes in front of the producer, uh, Hannah, um, and then our director, Ben Taylor, and I think there's someone else in the room, casting director. And then I got a recall, which was, oh, you're going to be reading with Matt Berry. Now, this is, okay, he's a co-worker now, um, but I'm a massive (laughs) Matt Berry fan. Who isn't? uh, Who isn't? And I just remember sort of, yeah, being told, you're going to go and meet Matt Berry, you're going to read with Matt Berry. Shit in it, and I was doing a play at the time with um, uh, Martin Freeman and Martin and, and Matt are good friends. And um, Martin kept going, oh, I'll put in a good word, in. I'll put in a good word. I was like, Don't you fucking dare, <laughs> I'm, gonna get, I'm gonna get some merit, mate. Anyway, um, I went in and I was just so nervous, I was so nervous, and I think I absolutely bollocked it. Really? I was convinced, yeah, because yeah. Matt, um, you know, co-created it and is, you know, as a writer on it. And he really had like his writer's hat on. So he was really sort of dissecting it sort of with me. And I just thought, oh, God, I've, you know, I'm not, comedy is so about the connection um, between you two. And I feel like I just, I was like, I did my fandom just get the better of me oh my god and I remember I met a friend across the road and it was pissing down with rain and it was this, this little pub garden I just sat there nursing a G&T like oh fucked it mate <laughs> she was like there there mate I was like I fucked it and you know Martin texted me how did it go and I was just like I can't even I can't even fucking tell him I've absolutely <laughs> absolutely rid it and then and then I got the part yeah <laughs> 
and then I had to make sure Martin didn't say anything. But um, then working with Matt, and he's, he is so forensic when it comes to finding the funny. And um, yeah, and then I realised that I was just with him at work. Um, mm. And yeah, he constantly on set was always just, you know, to me and Freddie, really encouraging of like, use your instincts, you've got good instincts. Like, what do you think is right? What do you think is better and all that? Um, so yeah, that's how I got the part. But again, you never know. I no. It's happened to me before where I, I honestly feel like I've ruined it. Mm. And then I, I've got the part because they see something. Um, so yeah. I don't know how you... Show like that, oh. I was just going to say, Susan, what is a show like that, is that fully scripted or is that improvised as well? No, that's fully... It's pretty much fully scripted. Um, but again, it was definitely... You know, if we came up with something that we thought was funny, um, that would get used. Like, there's one bit at the end of... I think it's episode three or four where... Um, uh, Keely's character says, "Oh, would you like some lemon?" And I go, "Lemon in tea? Is that new?" <laughs> like that. That's improvised. <laughs> looks at me like you fucking shit. Um, so there was there was like space for it, but it's you know Andy and and Kevin, our writers, it, they are. I mean, the joke the, the joke rate in it is lightning fast. Mm. Um, so yeah, there wasn't it, there was enough, and plus you know it's a comedy, but also the the story is so intricate. You've got your sort of stories of the week, but then you've got the overarching story. So yeah, there isn't time to like mm. mess around, and there wasn't time to mess around actually. Mm. And like <laughs> I, like I said, the production design is amazing as well. Yeah, it was really fun. I've just to be on something where. You know, you know, particularly a comedy. Like I, my experience with comedy has been, and you know, and having done a drama, I think the main thing is that you know you've got more time to do a drama. I don't know why. I don't know why people think it's a drama. Therefore, we need to record it at a you know very slow rate. Mm. Whereas comedy, <laughs> like, oh, you can make that for fifty pence in two weeks, surely. <laughs> and like, why is it different? I don't understand. And and so with um. Year of the Rabbit was so good to be in a comedy, but something that the scope of it was huge, and mm. you know, big crowd scenes and big gowns and and prosthetics and you know, gunshot wounds and knife wounds. It was just like everything and getting to be funny. I loved the scale of it. Yeah, I don't know how as soon as they say action and Matt Berry starts with that Matt Berry voice, how you don't just crack up every single time. Because I've only got to hear his voice. He just got to go yes or something like that, and you, I just crack up every time. Hey, I mean it's great work that you're not just cracking up every minute. Thank you, me and Freddie. I mean, I mean there was one day, there was one. I mean, I cracked up a lot actually, but I cracked up a lot. But there was one day when we were. It's in the final episode where we're in the um, carriage, and uh, it's me. Freddie and Matt, and we're, it's tiny. It, it, we don't fit. Like, in fact, I don't think I was actually sat on the seat. I was sort of on the floor, <laughs> and it was so squashed that I had to take off my corset because I was genuinely suffocating. Like, without sounding precious, I couldn't breathe. So I was like, "We're going to have to stop because I have to take it off." And then, because we were so close together, I don't know. If, at drama school, we played this game where you would all lie down on the floor, and you'd put your head on someone's st stomach and then somebody else put their head on someone's stomach so it was like a big snake of people and 
that's all we did and we just laid there and then what happened was when one person starts laughing it spreads right because <laughs> of your head on their tummy <laughs> and and then you end up being in hysterics uh that's what i paid thousands of pounds <laughs> thousands. Thousands. anyway it happened in this carriage because it was so because matt was in the middle it was so close and it was I've just, I've never been in that much physical pain where I was laughing so hard. I thought, and in my head, I was like, this is it, Susan, your career is finished. Like, you're unreliable, you're a piece of shit, don't take it seriously. But all three of us just couldn't get a word out. Like, he is, they both are, like, Freddie is fantastic as well. But mm. yeah, Matt's um well, anybody listening, anybody listening, if they haven't watched Year of the Rabbit yet, I thoroughly recommend it because it is. And it was the fact there was a couple of little toastisms that that Matt Berry put in as well. I remember watching it, and even my wife, my wife's not a, a, a big Toast fan or Matt Berry fan, but she went, "What did he just say? That's from Toast." I went, "Yeah." He just... <laughs> uh, is there is there a series two? Are you able to say if there's a series two? Yeah, it's been announced. We're doing a series two. Excellent. Um, we were meant to start shooting it. Oh no! <laughs> Dude. Um, but yeah, like like literally everything else, it's been pushed. But yes, we are. We're doing a, a series two. Awesome! And fantastic! Wonderful! So, what else have you got coming up, Susan? Um, so I've got that, and then I have another show called Truth Seekers on Amazon Prime. Ooh. That is. The first uh, TV show uh, with um, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost in 20 years, apparently. Wow. The first series. Um, Yeah, and that's about uh, Ghost Hunters and uh, Stars Those Two and Samson K.O. And yeah, it's going to be really fun. That's going to be out. Oh, I don't know, actually. Actually, I don't. When I say I don't know, I don't know what I should say. <laughs> Has it all been filmed? Yeah, but, yeah, that's done. That's in the can. Okay. That's done. Don't worry. Uh, no pause on that. Um, and then I have a film called Enola Holmes, which is now going to be on Netflix with Millie Bobby Brown. And um, it's about uh, Sherlock Holmes's uh, younger sister. It's based on the books of the same name. And uh, yeah, so that's going to be out on Netflix. And again, I, it hasn't been announced when it is, so I can't say, but soon. And then uh, trying to wrap my brains for other things. I think that's all I can say. Wow. So <laughs> all those You're years both. of Rada have paid off. <laughs> they paid off, mate. <laughs> all that lying, laughing on someone else's tummy. <laughs> now look at me. Yeah. Uh, Neil just does that and charges a woman to do it for him. So, I mean, you know, it depends on how you uh-huh. want to have it done, doesn't it? You know. Uh, but you can't do it now, social distancing. Well, that is true. That is true. It's quite awkward trying to lie on your own tummy. call <laughs> <laughs> that just the fetal position. Yeah. yeah as soon as we right. stop, Neil's going to go and try. I guarantee it. He'll turn the camera off yeah. and he'll just go and try. Susan, it's been a real pleasure to speak to you. It really has. I'm glad we finally managed to get it sorted. Um Please, when you win the Oscar, don't forget to give us a little mention on your speech. Yeah. We'll be waiting. <laughs> we'll be waiting for that. It'll be our little moment. Oh, I remember her when she was, you know, I remember her. <laughs> um, and good luck for everything in the future. Please stay safe. 
Yes, you too, guys. Thank you so yeah, much. And uh, and hopefully we'll see you again soon. If you're ever back in Siren Sea and Daisy, please come and see Yay. us. Come and see us as well. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Susie. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ah, what a joy. What an absolute joy. What a wonderful, wonderful person. I really enjoyed that. Uh, go on then, Neil. Do your bits before oh, you go and uh, rest on your stomach. Oh, no, I'm going to have a little sandwich first and then rest on my stomach. <laughs> okay, that's too much information. Em- Nobody wants to rest on an empty stomach and get the noise. Indeed. Get on with Same- it! <laughs> <laughs> you can find us all on the social medias under WTAF This Country. Please come and join us on there. You can email us at WTAF This Country at hotmail.com got any questions you'd like to ask or anything you'd like to say please do drop us an email or you can visit the website which is wtafpodcast.com beautifully done neil that's the best one you've ever done i think oh well, well, there we go. and come and be a patreon bozo as well come and join us on patreon uh, patreon.com forward slash wtaf uh, we have three different tiers of rewards uh one dollar two dollars and five dollars and for five dollars a month you get a wonderful wtaf enamel badge uh there's loads of different things uh, extra content and um loads of other gubbins just go to patreon.com forward slash wtaf and if you like the podcast then please go on to apple podcasts and leave us a lovely rating and a wonderful review that would be much much appreciated Thank you. Well done. Thank well you. Well done. So, thank you very much again to Susan, uh, who has yeah. uh, who has well now gone. Uh, thank you very much to Neil. Please, everybody, stay safe. Uh, and um, by the time this podcast actually goes out, we may not be on lockdown. We may still be, but as we're recording it, it still is lockdown. So it's a lockdown edition. And I don't know why I've said that because it may be complete bollocks. It may not need to be. So I don't know why I've gone and ranted on for the last two minutes. Just stay safe, everyone. Just stay safe. Stay safe, Neil. And you, Pav. And uh, we will see you all again for another WTAF. Thank you very much. And go and get plumbed, you fuckers. Scarecrow Festival is like the most important day of the year. Daft cow. This is just ridiculous. What the actual fuck? Hi, I'm Pav. I'm Neil. We're here to tell you about our new exciting project, the Top 10 of Anything podcast. Phenomenal. That's right, Neil. We grab a guest or two, pick a subject, then bring our own Top 10s to the pod. Yes. It could be Top 10 scary movies, Top 10 swear words, Top 10 breakfast foods, anything. Oh, you saucy devil. Indeed, Neil. Our first episode will be online very soon, so subscribe on all your usual podcast platforms so you don't miss it. Yes. The Top 10 of Anything podcast. Let's begin the countdown. Phenomenal.